0: Hello and welcome to the Deeper Eye podcast. I am Lara Ferris, your host. For many years, I have been passionate about self-improvement. Through this, I have met the best specialists in their field who have given me tools and the courage to pursue a new path. The purpose of this podcast is to share with you everything I have learned through the conversations I have had with these amazing people. I hope these conversations will impact your life as they did to mine. Today, Andrew Wallace and I, in episode 5 of the series, What Do We Want Our Children to Know?, we will be talking about a power greater than ourselves. This power is very often called God, the universe, your higher self, other people around you, I am looking forward to discuss this with Andrew. I hope this will enlighten us all on what is the greater power, how is it helpful to us, and why is it much easier to ride through life with this belief in a greater power. Thank you for being with us. Hello, Andrew. Good morning. (laughs) Hi, Laura. Good afternoon, rather. I am so happy to have you again today for episode five of What Do We Want Our Children to Know? I love all these titles you help me put with this, these episodes because I once already said sometimes it takes a few minutes for me to understand the titles you give them and then after it makes so much sense after I hear you talk about it, it's just spot on what we should call it to resume our conversation. Today is a power greater than ourselves. And this title is very, very dear to me at the moment because if I didn't believe in this power greater than myself and ourselves, I honestly, Andrew, tell you very honestly, I wouldn't see the point anymore and it i know it's quite drastic to say that and i'm not i'm not wanting to be extremely negative but at the moment i'm really struggling and everything i had planned for the last 20 even 30 years is turning out not to be going according to my plans so have i lost my time all these years have i been extremely mature have I been over positive negative I don't know I just want you please Andrew to talk about this greater power and hopefully explain to me why it's okay sometime that it doesn't go according to our plans
1: it reminds me of a joke or story which is how do you make God laugh yeah and the answer is tell him your plans you know <laughs> so we'll we'll try to explore all of that and i actually agree with you entirely that i wouldn't want to live a life without a connection with a power greater than myself so i don't think that's drastic or radical or anything it's just to me it wouldn't be a life worth living but that's after you know, many decades of of struggling and fighting to get to where I am today. And I think that the reason this is on the top five list of things that I want to teach my children is that we're all living really at a time of unprecedented individualism. And many of the societies we've created have a very strong leaning towards narcissism. There's a lot of talk about narcissism and we're encouraged to rely upon ourselves. And that's not true in Eastern societies so much, but this expression of power grid in ourselves comes from 12-step groups from Alcoholics Anonymous, NA, OA, Coda. And the idea behind it is that an individual who cannot stop drinking on their own is encouraged to see the AA group. Yeah as having more power to support them to stop drinking and that works in practice time and time again and in my own life i i genuinely experience all the time that if i am in harmony with my wife if if anna and i are aligned to our purpose or to our dharma then one plus one equals seven. Mm -hmm. You've often heard me use this expression. I would would love to go into schools, Lara, and teach a new mathematics, a new arithmetic. Because for me, the whole point of this talk is that when we harness a power greater than ourselves, one plus one can equal 11 or 12, or one plus one plus one equals 11. It's understanding that we're not alone and we don't have to do it alone.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And I experience that all the time. And it's exactly the same with friendship. So for me, you know, my friendship with you means that when we sit together and we share one plus one equals five or six or seven, it's a much more powerful dynamic. And it's the same in any group or any business or any organization, where there is alignment, yeah. then we harness additional power. And a very good example of this is someone, I can't remember who it was, someone talked about the wisdom of geese. Mm-hmm. You know, geese have this special way of flying that is seems to be innate to them. And scientists sat down and worked out that individual geese save 72% of their energy by flying in this formation. So it's it's a massive Hmm. saving. Another aspect of this, which we're all familiar with, is the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. Mm -hmm. The whole is greater than the sum of the parts. And that is always true. And another way of accessing this is through... Sports teams, different sports, through you know, managers who are the most successful understand this. And so, Alec Ferguson, who's one of the most successful managers of all times, mm-hmm. when an individual got bigger than the team, he would get rid of them. Oh. So, you have hmm. 11 players, yeah. but it's really how they all blend together it's the interdependence, it's the dynamic, it's the harmony. That creates a significant, powerful presence. And that is exactly how the universe works, in my experience. When we're aligned with the universe, or we're aligned with our purpose, then we're infinitely more powerful. And there's examples of this throughout history. you know, for example, Gandhi, who was a very diminutive figure at five foot four or something. He took on the might of the British Empire when the sun never set on the British Empire, and he defeated the whole of the British army without an army. And this is power. This is tremendous.
0: An ultimate form of power. <laughs> I, I,
1: exactly. Yeah. It's exactly. And so what this is hinting to, a power greater than ourselves, is that we need something Outside ourselves, which is really the antidote to self centeredness, egocentric thinking, narcissism, individualism, all those things which I think have developed more strongly than ever before in the last 20, 30, 40 years. We need to get back into a sense of the group or friendships or coming together with others or the universe itself as being a power greater than ourselves. And anyone who has ever sort of lain on the grass outside on a starry night or had a sense of the awesome uh, Hmm. vastness of the universe Hmm. has this sense that actually there's something very small about us and very um, minuscule compared to... Uh, the power of the universe and when we begin to align with that or begin to see the universe as a benevolent presence something that supports us not that something is against us Mm -hmm. then this is really uh, the beginning of a very different life a very different way of being in the world yeah and i'm not sure that today's children teenagers and everything have this so readily as previous generations.
0: Yeah. I totally agree with the, with that. I sometimes wonder uh if our children today, I mean I know you have we have children similar age or in between anyway, and there is a lot a lot of their belief and uh, and imprint that is completely different to the way I've been raised, guess you as well, but some of it is great. I just see that it's amazing because they are taking whatever we tried to do and take it forward. And they understand much better the sense of community more than us, the integration, the they're more accepting of what is different to them. And they don't go on saying that their way is the only way this is what i admire in this next generation and the one thing i'm not really sure is if they they believe so much in a greater power i don't i just might be completely wrong but i think uh, this generation is very much um, centered on what is happening to them. Like they they have this need to just show everything they do from waking up to going to bed. They have to share what they have done. It's all about them, what they're doing and how much they learned, how much they traveled, how, how what's their plan for the future. And it seems like you can't go to any place now with it, with it, This next generation without them making you wait for I don't know how long to take a picture of what they're doing or (laughs) eating or and that is something that I much prefer our way to theirs, but other things I really like theirs. And what I understand from this title and the way you're explaining this greater power is it's not just believing in a greater power, it's just understanding and acknowledging that what we live and who we are is not just for us. Sometimes what's happening in our life is in itself to serve bigger purpose. Is that what you also mean by greater power?
1: Precisely. I think I mentioned the word purpose two or three times. Mm -hmm. And the idea of serving a bigger purpose, I think, you know, it's probably true, Lara, that, you know, for the last 2000, 3000 years, uh, the dominant culture has been a religious culture in, in throughout the world, whether it's Judaism or Christianity or Islam or Hinduism or Buddhism, these are the main sort of religions. And over the last 50 years or so, I think we've been coming a more and more secular society. And I think we're in a transition. And probably, you know, as we become more secular, I can see that the idea of a power greater than ourselves might be less fashionable or less useful. But I think it is just a transition. And in that transition, many people are rediscovering spirituality and the teachings Mm. of indigenous people. And and so it will go on. But, you know, the thing about we've talked about friendship, groups of people, the universe, and and the step beyond that is what we call the divine or God. Mm -hmm. And many people have been damaged or hurt or alienated from themselves and others by religious organisations or religious parenting. But the fact remains that billions of people throughout the world have a sense of purpose through their faith, through their religious faith. And I think the most common mistake in my experience, and this is coming from clinical practice, is that what most people do is they take a very particular model of God. It could be a specific Christian understanding of God or an Islamic understanding of God or whatever, and then they shoot it down because they don't like that particular uh, model. And in doing so, they reject the whole notion of God. And that's extremely easy to do. So for example, in the Christian tradition, which is, I was brought up in, you know, there's a lot of talk about punishing God or, or God meeting out really quite severe punishments in rage or whatever. Now, for me personally, it's a very personal thing, this power greater than ourselves. I choose not to believe in that God. Mm. I don't, I don't, yeah. the God I believe in is not punishing or mm. anything such a notion, Yeah. So for me, it's about developing a personal relationship with a power greater than ourselves. And what's interesting is, you know, when we're small and we're children, very small children, our parents are gods at the outset of our life. We look up to our parents as if they were gods. And all of the research shows that for most people, whatever the religious tradition they're in, is that their concept of God has many projections and many similar perceptions to their relationship with their parents so if if you have a difficult relationship with your parents or a very authoritarian father or punishing father then you'll tend to be drawn towards that in your understanding of the divine Mm. and, and so forth but but ultimately it doesn't really matter to me whether people have a relationship with what they call god or not for me god is just three letter word backwards it's dog or god mm-hmm. you know it's really the essence behind that and many people you know have said to me over the years that it you know it's 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 a convenient cop out or etc cetera, etc cetera. but actually People who have a relationship with a power greater than themselves tend to live happier lives and more fulfilling lives, and that's just a fact.
0: Yes, and and yet I just would like to to spend a bit more time talking about this um, excess when you when you let's say you you go into any religion that is a punishing religion or a restrictive, like you can do this, you can't do that. So it takes a lot of your own. Power, Right. And yet we talk a lot about self-empowerment nowadays. So it's a bit confusing. I know you just talked about it. Can we talk a little bit more about it? Because I know why I don't. I feel very restricted when I hear that people say that I'm going to be punished or not go to paradise if I do this, this and that. Mm -hmm. And I don't believe in a God like that. For me, God is love and forgiveness. So. Can we just spend a bit more time on this?
1: Sure. There's two different areas of confusion for all of us. Mm -hmm. The first is that religious communities and belonging to a community of faith, Mm -hmm. it is very much about focusing away from the individual onto a wider perspective, a community. I was in Israel recently and for Friday night for the Shabbat. Mm-hmm. And they all go down to the Wailing Wall and hooked up with a, a group of Hasidic scholars and rabbis. And the sense of community was fantastic. I'm not part of that tradition, but they treated me like one of them and we were singing in Hebrew at the Wailing Wall and there was just an incredible atmosphere. And there was that sense of the community being stronger than the individual and it was a very profound experience for me which I'll remember for the rest of my life so on the one hand we're saying that there is this sense of community that is very very powerful however where the external teaching is more important than the internal experience or the internal uh, relationship then I think we've become adrift. So in various traditions, as you've pointed out, I think in all the main traditions that God is positioned as love. And certainly in the Judeo-Christian tradition and in Islam, I think there is a strong emphasis on God being represented by love. And yet, as we often see, that the manifestations of religious communities or organizations are very, very long way away from love. Mm -hmm. And that's just human nature. At the end of the day, I think that religious structures are human. I think sometimes they have more to do with control than love. Mm -hmm. But equally, it's very easy to be critical of those structures when, in fact, they support hundreds of millions of people throughout the world but i think it's getting that balance between the community and the individual relationship you know in my tradition which is essentially a christian tradition you know jesus when he came along he was jewish and he he went to synagogue and he taught, go to your room, kneel by your bed, and pray. And I, I still practice that. For me, it's a very personal, very individual process. You don't need to go yeah. to a church, a mosque, or a synagogue. I like doing that, yeah. and it's it's a you can tap into the community in that mm-hmm. way. But to have a power greater than yourself, for me, it just needs me to have a personal relationship. With a a divinity or a divine energy or the universe itself. This
0: gesture just is such a great reminder of being humble and of humility, like remembering when you you kneel like this, you go on your knees and we generally ask for I mean, we thank, we ask for forgiveness. It's again this Hoponopono practice but done in a different way and uh, I I totally I mean agree I, I I don't go to church that often I'm Christian but I just pray a lot I pray all day nearly because it's not like a moment of prayer it's every time I find myself speaking to this divinity that I know is is out there it's in me and out there but Just would like to come back a little bit to this million of people you were mentioning that are in communities, you know, like of several different religions. When I talk to younger people, they very often say, yes, it's great to have this. But when it's really disturbing is when they, for example, look at other communities that does different to them, then there is absolutely no openness. There is like, if it, you're not doing what I'm doing, then it's bad. It's not my way. And this is maybe also a very simplified way of explaining it, but it perpetuates the problems. We come back to realizing that there isn't much openness, love, and forgiveness sometime in, in practicing several religion or some of them anyway. Do you have any views on that? Like, how would you help young people who are a bit caught in this form of rigidity in a religion?
1: Well, I think for me, there's a very practical way into this is, you know, we all grew up in a family of origin. We grew up in a family system. And family systems all exist on a spectrum between at one end some family systems are very rigid, and you have an author authoritarian figure ahead, mm. often a male, and it's sort of my way or the highway, and it's and there's very, very rigid boundaries, and they don't new information in and they don't let information yeah. out. And then at the other end of the spectrum, you have a family system with very loose boundaries where too much comes in, too much goes out. And every family is somewhere on that spectrum. And it's exactly the same with religion. So (laughs) over the last few thousand years, there have been many devout people in all the main different traditions that are interested in learning from other traditions that have a very, you know, essentially their faith is rooted in one tradition, but they create dialogue with individuals and communities of other traditions and, and that's gone on in the world and still goes on I mean fun, funny enough our king yeah. King Charles has been a great proponent of I remember 20-30 years ago he brought the leaders together of all the different religions mm-hmm. and he encouraged them to dialogue with each other so there's always going to be It's true of non-religious organisations. Some secular organisations are very rigid and very rule-based and others are very open. So I don't think there's anything we can do about that other than to be drawn to openness and be drawn to those people who are interested. I would say that I have been enriched by all the major religious traditions i've I've been curious about all of them i've learned from all of them, mm-hmm. and we were talking earlier about a sort of power greater than ourselves and and going on your knees or whatever and I was reminded that the when I went to India, I learned about devotion and and for a white male brought up in the u k we don 't really do devotion and The founder of Sikhism, Mm -hmm. uh, Guru Nanak, who was an amazing individual, he once said he wrote all these sort of poems and and little scribes, and he said the only way to find favour with God is through devotion. And I've met a lot of Sikhs over the years, and they all seem to have a very lovely energy and a a very nice way about them. Uh So for me... I also practice being devoted to my wife, which is harder than being devoted to God mm-hmm. actually. But mm-hmm. you know, devotion is something that we don't practice very well in the West. Yeah. So I, you know, being devotion being devoted to the universe or to a power grade in ourselves, or just having that sense in which we surrender, we give up something of our self our conscious mind our ego whatever you want to call it and we surrender to the bigger picture and as you and i have often talked about now sometimes if we're having a difficult day or having a difficult few weeks or few months we're going through a difficult situation a life situation that that somehow by having this relationship with the bigger picture it actually helps us and supports us through that difficult situation. And I I genuinely, when I look back at some of the situations I've been through in my life, I don't know how people do that without that bigger picture. I
0: don't. I don't either. I honestly don't because it's the trust that that something you don't really know or have no idea how is going to fall into place. And to be fair, it always does. So... I'm sure people who don't believe in a greater power just turn it always to something related to something somebody has done or someone has done and they reach the solution. I think it's just a question of awareness, like believe I don't know my case i don't want to say we cuz i don't really know if you you agree with this but i believe more in the magic and the miracle of situation how they just fall into place without your knowledge even without even you having done anything for it or I, like i was started my conversation telling you that everything i i thought i had planned is okay. just not happening the way i thought would happen and uh, so there are moments where I'm terrified, like literally terrified, and and I know now that when I am in that uh, state of terror, is because I'm not accepting. I have moments where I don't accept what's happening. It wasn't what I planned, so I refuse it. And as soon as I remember and reconnect with that greater power to trust that actually there is something that I can't see at the moment, either because I'm too entangled in what's going on or because I'm not quiet enough to be able to see the biggest pic- the bigger picture. I just start trusting again and there is an immediate sense of peace. And I realize after that things are actually growing and advancing in a way that is more reassuring. Arts.
1: I think that's exactly right, and that that's what we're really talking about here, Lara, that when, you know, you or I are going through a difficult time, if you just reach out to one other person and you share and you connect with that other person, then immediately that is a power greater than myself. It's It's two people. So it's this idea that you can... I don't think we need to be stipulative about... What a power greater than yourself is. And I think it evolves over time Mm. and it changes. But I think the most important thing is to be able to develop a a relationship with others, whether it's a group or whether it's the universe or some other relationship that takes us away from self dependency. Because self dependency doesn't really work. And to some extent, we've been encouraged down that pathway by the culture, by the society. And we need to find a way to reverse that because the opposite is far more effective. Mm -hmm. And it's just having faith in a way is trusting in something despite the evidence. You know, it's a little bit like people think that courage, they look at people who are very courageous and they think they don't experience Mm -hmm. fear. It's not the case at all. Courage is feeling full of Mm -hmm. fear Going ahead and doing it anyway and it's the same with faith it doesn't mean that life is rosy or all the bits of the jigsaw in place it just means i don't know how this is going to end i don't know why i'm going through this but i trust that i will come out of this in a very effective fulfilled and happy state and that you know evolution itself is painful childbirth is painful Mm -hmm. And if you ask a caterpillar, you know, how it becomes a butterfly, it doesn't know. The caterpillar, in the process of becoming a butterfly, which is a very elongated and exhausting process, you know, the caterpillar is struggling, 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 falling back on exhaustion, struggling, 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 exhausted, struggling. And that goes on. And the bad news for the caterpillar is that in order for the butterfly to be born, the caterpillar has to die. And it's a little bit like that for us, that the old self, the old identity has to die before the new identity or the new self can emerge. And this is evolution. This is what we're going through in our lifetime. And giving up, you know, you've referred to it a couple of times in this call Giving up the old identity, the old life, whatever that might be, is a difficult process because it's been very familiar and we've been very reliant on it, even though it might not necessarily have made us very happy.
0: Yeah, we don't really acknowledge that immediately. And I have to say, Andrew, it's much quicker for the butterfly to become the butterfly because in human time it seems to be so much longer and it can take ages for that to happen. I've seen a caterpillar turn into a butterfly, you know, because my son had this experience, you know, I don't know (sighs) if you had that with your kids. They bring it home and, and it's beautiful and you can see this absolutely magical and amazing. And every time I really try to remember this and I catch myself thinking, my goodness, it's Maybe my caterpillar is stuck. I it's
1: not, it's <laughs> well, not turning you know, into
0: a butterfly yet.
1: I, um, I haven't done the arithmetic and maybe you and I could agree that we'll find someone to go away and do it. But what I'm talking about, I don't know how long a caterpillar lives for, but if you take the life of a caterpillar and then you take the duration of the beginning of the process at the very beginning of the process of transformation to the point when the butterfly is is emerges i think relative to the life of a caterpillar that is actually quite a long time in the same way that yeah. if you take the birth of a human that the human gestation is relatively quite a long period but if you have a 3 day labor relative to the 9 months in the womb that's quite a long period mm. And so it does take time, and we've all been conditioned time and time again to a quick-fix society. We're the first real society of people of our generation that basically whatever we want, we have it yeah. now. You have Amazon, you go on to Amazon, it's delivered the next day. You, you, you phone in for food, it's delivered a few hours later. It's, we're constantly being reinforced that whatever we want we have it it's been a very affluent time in most countries Mm. over the last sort of 20 30 years but actually life and nature isn't like Mm -hmm. that it's I always you know occasionally when I watch these um, David Attenborough programs which I love or nature programs you see a film we've all seen them of a flower opening that's been speeded up hundreds yeah. of thousands yeah. of times. And I always feel slightly uncomfortable because actually that's not how it happens. Know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it... it's a long drawn out process of course. and it's the same for us. And as you've said yourself many times, the, the length of the process is dictated by our resistance. Mm-hmm. The more we resist it, the longer the process.
0: Yeah. So that's exactly uh, I was thinking when you were talking that the delay and this uh, freeing yourself to become this butterfly, if we want to stay with this example, is each time you resist what is. Like I started this conversation before we recorded telling you today is a day off for me because I'm kind of not accepting what is. I guess the great thing is I'm aware of it now. I'm able to identify why this feeling. And I'm pretty sure I'm right in saying that the only difference between today and yesterday is my resisting the way I'm thinking about what's going on, because I didn't feel that way yesterday and nothing changed. Absolutely nothing changed.
1: Exactly right. And some of that thinking, Lara, is unconscious. So although, you know, we can go to bed at night and we fall asleep, And we're not conscious, but there is a lot still going on in our unconscious mind. Sometimes we remember dreams or sometimes witness something and it gets stirred up in the night. So there's many different levels of our resistance to change or our resistance to trust. Mm -hmm. And we've all been in situations, you know, sometimes my wife and I are having an argument. and She says to me, look, hang on do you trust me? And I say right now, no, not at all. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's like we go in and out of trusting life or trusting the divine or trusting the universe or trusting our our loved ones, you know. And in reality, of course, trust Anna more than anyone else. So all of this is sort of iterative that I've seen many, many days and many moments When I've witnessed you as a butterfly, I've seen you come alive in and looking very radiant and full of life and just in love with life. So never met anyone that experiences that in every moment of every day and every day of every year. It doesn't happen like that. You know, we have experiences of, of freedom and liberation, experiences of joy. And then there's another layer to peel off.
0: And I think it's actually good for our children maybe to see that it's okay not to always be the butterfly. Of course, of course. Because I know many children feeling full of shame for not being as perfect as they think their parent is or are, but actually they're, because they're not showing them when they're not like i personally speak very openly to my children when i completely i don't know what i'm doing i'm i messed up i and uh i have various friends who think this is not a good idea and i have other friends who think it's it's amazing so it's not for everyone but i think it just gives them the opportunity to accept that they too are allowed to mess up and that's okay. You know, we just start again and we do better. Uh, I don't know if we can use the term term better because we're just saying that it's okay not to be great, but, you know, we just try to reach the best of ability every day and every day is a new start, right?
1: I think that's right. And I'm like you, Lara, that I, I certainly share my vulnerability and my bad days and everything with my children and I remember when my children were very young I remember you know sobbing uncontrollably in front of them I've got no idea what I was crying about yeah. now but I remember that one of them was quite sort of frightened by that because you know a little bit frightened yeah. but I taught them very early on through modelling that people get hurt and people get upset and people get disappointed and in a way, this is part of the demystify, de- demystification mm. of parents being gods, that parents become more human. And there is a sense in which you give your permission, you'll give your children permission yeah. to be fallible, to, to hurt, to be disappointed, to have difficult days. And that's part of life. And in a way, that's where the analogy to the caterpillar mm. And the butterfly breaks down because that's, it's a very linear analogy. You have a period of time when the existence is of a caterpillar, and then you have a day when the butterfly is born, and then the butterfly never goes back to being a caterpillar. And that's not how this works.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's why. Yeah. I understand totally. The, the, the analogy is just used for one part of our journey, but we have a different one. We, we have the uh, aptitude and ability to come back and live this process several times. I think,
1: I think the other thing that happens, you know, I've been uh, living very imperfectly this evolutionary journey for 40 years or more. And I think what happens is for me with this idea of a power greater, Than ourselves. I think that the size, if it's not a very it's not Mm -hmm. the best word, but the the vastness Mm -hmm. of the universe Mm -hmm. and the divine and the support that we have, I think if any one of us could just glimpse in any moment the level of support we have in our evolutionary journey, it's mind-boggling. And I think as you evolve, I think the picture gets bigger and bigger. And in that sense, we come to rely more and more on support of an external force, energy that is there alongside us. Yeah. And, and in various traditions, you know, a big part of that is ancestral support. So in various traditions, our ancestors are supporting us in a myriad of ways. And certainly I've had that experience of being supported in a multi-layered way from people in spirit that have have moved on but are still there supporting me in my journey. Yeah,
0: yeah it's beautiful. You know, one thing, Andrew, that if I may just add on this because it's really important for me to... Um, to say for all these people and hopefully our children listening um, is that life is as you, you're going to find so many better words than me, but as you you plan it, it will show you that you're right. Like, for example, if you insist on being negative, if you insist on blaming, if you insist on uh, seeing everything against you, then the, the the world will show you that. And you can't just say, oh yes, I believed in a greater power, but look, all I'm seeing is this, there is nothing, like you have to contribute to, to show the world what you believe in. Can you just describe it, that thing that you taught me so many times and I know exactly uh, how it works, but I just want them to understand it properly, please.
1: Well, I think what comes to mind is a saying that you see a lot on social media and everything, that Henry Ford, who invented the first motor car, he said, whether you think you can or whether you think you can't, you're right. And it's exactly as you said, that you know if you think you can't get the job, you won't. If you think you can get the job, you will. And so that applies to an awful lot of situations in life. And if you go to more extreme situation, if you imagine someone who's adopted very early on in life or someone whose mother abandoned them or someone whose father beat them or whatever, you can live the next 30, 40, 50 years uh, being unhappy or miserable because of those events. And many people do do that. And, And I lived for many decades Mm -hmm. feeling sorry for myself on some of the events that happened to me or you have a choice you can choose to see the transformative opportunity of those experiences or those events and you can choose to see them as part of an evolutionary experience and through a relationship with a power greater than ourselves we can see a meaning and a purpose in those experiences. So I've been privileged enough to meet hundreds of people on both sides of that dividing line, people who have found the meaning and purpose in very painful experiences and transform their lives, and others who have become very stuck Mm -hmm. in an old story that isn't serving them, but they cling to that story because they feel a sense of injustice. And, you know, If we could teach our children that choice, because as you've said a couple of times in this call, the circumstances are the same. The circumstances do not change. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, yes, my mother walked out on me. Yes, my, my mother gave me up for adoption. Yes, you know, I was beaten as a child. The circumstances are the same, but actually our experience of them and our perception of them changes drastically in such a way that we see them as part of a bigger jigsaw, part of a bigger picture. And really, that's what this is all about.
0: Mm-hmm. Andrew, one last thing, and maybe it's uh, too big of a subject to answer in a few minutes, but do as, as you can. Like, sometimes we, we are experiencing things that are very unpleasant and many times over the last few years, you, when I had this kind of issue or problem or experience, you always pointed out to me to look at where I could be doing this myself in my life that could be attracting this to me. You know which episodes I'm talking about? like.
1: Mm, I do. And It is a big subject and it's open to a lot of misinterpretation and also it's open to abuse. I've heard teachers talk about this in what I think is quite an abusive way. But essentially Mm -hmm. what we're talking about here is if something very difficult or very painful happens to Mm me, at the soul level, which is beneath and beyond the conscious mind, the unconscious mind, the subconscious mind... At the soul level, we often bring forth events, or we choose events that are designed for evolution. Uh-huh. So, so very often, when we've had a particularly different experience, I encourage people to ask a different question, which is, "Why might I have chosen this?" I'm not saying you have, mm-hmm. but why might I have chosen this? So, one of the examples I use, and some of these people you and I have in common. You know, I could give you the names and telephone numbers of 25, 30 people who've had cancer that would say it was one of the best things that has ever happened to them, that it completely transformed their life. Now, all of those people, when they were having chemotherapy or their hair fell out or they were vomiting and they were sick and, you know, that they would never, ever have been capable of saying that. So, and of course, not everyone who has cancer does evolve to that place or many people die. But I've equally I had a client once who had cancer and it was terminal, and he came to see me and he said he had a huge dilemma. And I said, what's that? And he said, the dilemma is that since I've had this diagnosis, I have felt more loved and more loving than at any time in my life. I have a relationship with my wife that I would have told you was not possible. I've got a relationship with my children that is completely transformed, and yet I'm going to die in three or four months. And I don't know how to hold those two things together. So, you know, it's not for us to dictate or preach to anyone else. We we all have an individual experience of pain, of suffering. And the traditional, uh, you know, Buddhists and Hindus often differentiate between pain and suffering by pain is a physical sensation and that suffering is optional. Suffering is is an optional thing because we can choose how we experience it mentally and emotionally. And that's, you know... It's easy to say and difficult to do and it's a little bit like the the, the caterpillar again it you know through many months or, or years of struggle I've come to a different experience of something which allows me joy and peace mm-hmm. rather than misery and suffering and that's the only thing I can say about that is none of that in my experience is possible without a bigger picture, without a relationship to a power greater than myself, because yeah. I need to trust in something transformative and something bigger than me to enable that to happen.
0: Yeah. It really touched me, this story about the person who had cancer and felt so close to their family and their partner because they, they end up Discovering and feeling what I think is the most precious, not I only. Most people think the most precious thing you can discover in this lifetime is to be loved and how to love. And the fact that they, they found this because we spend so much time fighting against not being loved and not loving fully and unconditionally, like we discussed in our other episode. So. It's really, I love this. And
1: it's a dilemma for all of us, isn't it? Because I've known people, including people, part of my family, where I would say that they've lived for 70, 80 years, but it's kind of been an unlived life because they've had very little connection, very little Mm. intimacy, very little joy in their life. And as as you and I know, you know, one moment of joy Mm. seems to obliterate decades of misery.
0: Absolutely.
1: And... And so I want more joy in my life.
0: Yeah.
1: And ultimately it is a dilemma or a juxtaposition if I'm having all this joy and yet I've got to leave those that I love behind. But ultimately, you know, we've all got to do that. And as you were talking Mm. earlier, I was thinking part of this Connection with a power greater than ourselves is, you know, one of the things the Buddhists teach us is the impermanence of all things. Yeah. They have this expression: mm-hmm. the imper. Everything is transitory. You're going to die. I'm going to die. Our children are going to die. We hope that we die before our children. Yeah. But everything in life is uncertain and is very, very transient. Everything is going to be born and die away. <laughs> And even a human life, we're talking earlier, even a human life of 80 years is relatively short. And
0: that's the biggest resistance we we have is that we live, we seem to be living daily, uh, resisting that we will have to die one day.
1: Well, we have community, we have great resistance to death. I can honestly say that I've reached a time in my life where I have no fear of death Mm -hmm. but there is huge collective resistance to death and we don't we need to befriend death once you you know someone once said that you know he who befriends death doesn't you know lives well and it's true for all of us it's the paradox really in all of these things if we surrender our self our little self our egoic self If we surrender egocentricity and we live in the bigger picture, we're free. We have an amazing life, amazing experience, but it's difficult to do that.
0: like everything, Andrew. What a journey (laughs) you took us on. Thank you very much. (laughs) Thank you you so much, Andrew, for today. I'm sure we're going to find probably five more lessons too, (laughs) because as we're talking, I'm... Realising that there are other things I'd love to discuss with you that I'd like our children to know, but discuss that and I'm sure we're going to come back with more.
1: We will Thank indeed. You. To be continued, yes. like you yes. and I, it's we're a work in progress. <laughs> to be continued. Thank you, Andrew. Uh,
0: Thank you so uh, much. God bless. Bye. Bye. Thank you very much all for listening. Please don't forget to subscribe to the Deeper Eye podcast where I will be receiving guests every two weeks to talk about a different topic that hopefully will be very useful to you. And thank you so much for joining. The next episode I'll be recording will be still with Andrew Wallace. Very lucky to have him back for episode five of What Do We Want Our Children To Know? And the episode will be The Power Greater Than Ourselves. Looking forward to that. Thank you very much for listening.